You're listening to Blessed, Living the Good Life According to Jesus, a study of the Beatitudes. For more information, visit our website at crosspointptc.com. We're in a series called Hashtag Blessed, and um, this series, I think, really came out of the desire to do the Beatitudes, uh, which is basically, in my opinion, the greatest sermon that Jesus has ever given, and and probably the least understood. Because uh, I'll read things, I'm like, I I get that, but I don't understand what that means at all. And so we're going to be cruising through every single week. We're going to be doing verse three today, uh, which is a great verse. I'd like to just start out by saying thank you to Josiah for leaving town so I could preach this one, uh, because usually like the the B team, which is me. Uh, usually the B team gets like the obscure verses like the bear came down from the mountain and devoured the children from the Old Testament and you've got to somehow preach on that for 30 minutes and you're like, what am I supposed to say? So, uh, so it's nice to have a verse that is, that is so rich and so full and so amazing and so like crucial to, um, to Christians and to what the point of Jesus coming to earth in the first place. And so uh, that's why we started to go through that. And when we started looking up, I think there's kind of a trend right now with this idea of hashtag blessed uh, in Twitter, where a lot of people are using this on Twitter and on Facebook, and you've probably seen that in a lot of places. And there's like 15,000 different ways of using this term. And uh, so we really want to find out, okay, biblically, what, when Jesus used this term, what does that mean? Obviously, t- Twitter didn't exist, and he wasn't hashtagging blessed. That would be weird. Um, but um, we're going to find out what he means by that, and I thought Josiah did a great job of kind of setting us up last week. So to get us going, here's what I thought we would do. Uh, since there's so many different definitions of what it means to be blessed, I thought I would prove my point. Okay, so first of all, let me ask this question. How many of you, when I say hashtag blessed on Twitter, have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hand, just be honest. Couple, Okay. So basically a hashtag is this. I'm going to explain it because there's probably other people in the room that don't get it. So it's basically like, think of it like a category. So you could say, having a great time at the park, hashtag blessed. And so everybody who uses that hashtag, you can go on Twitter, you can do a search for hashtag blessed, and like thousands and thousands of statuses will come up, and you can just read through everybody's stuff, what they think it means to be blessed. And a lot of them are very contradictory to each other. So, here we go. Ready? So here's the first one I found yesterday. These are all real. I took the people's names off them, and the, and, and the reason I took their names off them is because I thought, you know, if I put people's, like, little names, and then all of a sudden somebody comes to Crosspoint for the first time, and they see their, like, their Twitter thing up there, that would be really embarrassing. So we won't do that. Uh, so, thank you, Annabeth. <laughs> taxes are back, and it's way more than I thought. So geek. So somebody's really excited about their taxes, Right? And they're like, I'm very blessed. Look at all this. How about this one? Feeling especially hashtag blessed after getting $1 back from taxes. Thanks, Missouri. (laughs) Thank you. All right. How about this one? Just got shot in the leg and robbed. Hashtag blessed. This is even better. How about this one? Yeah, I robbed that Jimmy John's. But it's all good, man. I'm a Sagittarius. Hashtag bless. Yeah, on the floor, rolling, laughing. Nice. 
All right, and this last one I thought I'd throw out for no other reason for Josiah. They play Gaga, then Iggy at the gym just now. <laughs> Hashtag bless. Wait on the next one. You know, the funny thing is the first time I ever heard Josiah talk about Iggy Azalea, I was like, I have no idea who that is. I had to, like, rewind the podcast, listen to the name, try to figure out how to spell it, and then I went on YouTube and I went, okay, I got, gotcha. Not my deal. Anyway, but what about this one? My radio shut off when Iggy Azalea came on. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> so I love it. You know, there's so many different contradictory ways to use blessed. And that's why we really need in life, we need to have something that is like, what is true? Like, who is going to define what that really, really means? And I can't think of anybody to better define it than Jesus. And that's really what this whole entire passage is about, is about Jesus defining what it means to be blessed. And so he's going after this, and we're going to read it here, Matthew 5, 3, it's on the screen. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I tell you what, as we go and we unpack this verse, I think you're going to see that this verse runs so countercultural to everything that our world says about what it means to be poor in spirit. And so what I thought I would do is I would kind of define what the opposite is first and then define what poor in spirit is. And so that's kind of the process we're going to go through. So if we think about what does it mean to be, really, to be rich in spirit, and essentially it, it is really this. Um, it's really um, being self-reliant. Being rich in spirit means that in some way you have attained some sort of self-sufficiency, some sort of self-expression, you're living life on your own, you're independent, you're doing your own thing apart from God. Y'all got it? So poor in spirit's the opposite of that. Ray Ortland puts it like this. He goes through all the Beatitudes, and he kind of does like an unbeatitude type of thing, and here's what he writes. He says, Congratulations to the entitled, for they grab what they want. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall win the last word, or they shall get in the last word. And congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. That's really what it means to be rich in spirit. And if you think about the world in which we live in, in a lot of ways the town in which we live in, is that not what people generally strive for? You know, the, the goal is to rise through the corporate ladder and the goal is to be comfortable and the, the goal is to have a nice house. That's kind of what our world tells us. And so we live in a world where blessed are those who are strong, blessed are those who are popular, who are comfortable, who are secure, who are independent, who are self-assured, who are self-satisfied. Blessed are the parents who have well-behaved kids, right? Because it makes you look good. Blessed are the families that have a nice home, a nice car, even though they may not have furniture in their house. I heard the term for that the other day is called house poor. Never heard that before. I thought it was a great term. Blessed are those who maybe has 
a beautiful wife or a beautiful husband, especially if they married up like I did. Blessed are those maybe who have, um, maybe have the right to vote or have other privileges compared to other people or maybe who are involved in social causes. But what about the church? What, what blessed are maybe those who have a permanent church building or maybe those are blessed who didn't spend $15 million on a per church building. Those are kind of opposites. Maybe blessed is the church that has a great kids ministry or great student ministry or great volunteer involvement or those type of things. And we can look at all of those things and it's so easy to take things that are, are good in general and we just make them all about being rich in spirit, which is all about myself. Why do I want my kids to behave? It's because I don't want y'all to look at me and be like, oh, there's the pastor with the wild kids, right? That's a lot of pressure to put it on them. Or why do we want a certain house? Well, we don't want to be, you know, people coming over a house and, you know, oh, I don't want to go to a community group here or wherever it may be. And so we become very focused on our culture, which says to be rich in spirit. Uh, Mark 8, 36 says this. Uh, it says, For what does a profit a man to gain the whole world, but yet forfeit his soul? And I think in our world that we live in, our culture, our culture is telling us we should strive after gaining everything that we want, every desire, anything that we perceive to make us happy. That's the goal. But what to have of those things but yet lose our very soul. What a tragedy. So what does it mean to be rich in spirit? It basically means to be self-sufficient. It means to, be, to live a life that is just so focused on myself and my little world that I proceed through it without ever thinking about God or without God being a part of my life in any way. That's what it means to be rich in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I've got a definition up here. It says, uh, spiritual poverty is the conscious confession of unworthiness before God. Because we really want to be worthy before God. We really want to build ourselves up in such a way where God in some way accepts us. But the reality is this spiritual poverty, or to be poor in spirit, is what God wants. And he wants us to go, you know what? That's not you. It's not possible. You are impoverished in every single way that there is. It's not that we don't have value. It's not that we're like, we need to have some sort of self-hatred. Uh, it's not that we have to be like, oh, I'm so miserable. You know, and you're just always grumpy all the time. It, it's not that you have some sort of lacking awareness of the spiritual realm. You know, like I'm poor in spirit, which means I can never understand anything about God. It's not that. It's all about our posture of our heart. And it all comes from one thing. Repentance. That's where God wants us to live. He wants us to live in such a way where we realize that our lives are full of self-preservation and self-promotion, that we repent of that and we realize that we can't live our lives separate from God and that we need Him. Repentance is kind of a churchy word, I think. It's kind of a churchy word a little bit. And basically, if you don't understand what it means, I'm going to explain it to you. I think it's, a really, it's really simple. The idea is that when I go through life, whether I'm a Christian or a non-Christian, I, sometimes I pursue things that, other than God, and I'm going this way, and I'm, I'm looking for fame or fortune, or I'm looking for people to notice me, or 
I'm looking for comfort, I'm looking for security, whatever those things might be that I really, deep down in my heart, I want. And there comes a point in time where I realize that those things are so shallow and fulfilling and there has to be something more and that God can only be those things in my life. And so what I do is I repent. I turn away from those things. I do a 180 and then I pursue Jesus, this direction. So all these things are behind me, either my lifestyle or whatever relationships I have, and those all become secondary when Jesus becomes the primary. That's what repentance is, and that's what it means to be poor in spirit. It means that we are humble enough to move away from what we want and towards what God wants. I hope that's making sense because it's such a key piece for what we're talking about today. In fact, um, biblically in the Greek, this is what it means, uh, poverty, it means this. It means to cower and to cringe like a beggar. That's really what that word means, to be poor in spirit, to cower and to cringe like a beggar. I don't know if you're anything like me, but like when Janelle and I went to college in Chicago, we would run into people, homeless people that were constantly begging. And after about four years of that, honestly, it got pretty annoying. And I would just walk by people just kind of cold and callous and just head, just ignore them, just keep moving. Once in a while, I'd be like, well, I'll buy them food. You know, I was like, I can help them out. They want to eat food, um, and I can buy them something. But I'm not going to give them money because I'll just go buy drugs or alcohol. And so I would just judge, 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 judge kind of who they were, and I knew nothing about them. But the one thing is for sure in that moment, and maybe you guys have experienced something like that, I never wanted to be them. I never wanted to trade places with them. I never wanted to be the beggar. You know? How many of us want to be the beggar? Nobody. Why? Because of pride. And so this is what God is saying. He's saying, spiritually speaking, you have to become the beggar. That's who we are. That's who we should be. That should be our posture towards God. Because in reality... Our humanity doesn't compare to God's deity. Make sense? God is so far beyond who we are. We are the beggar. That's who we are. And so we come to a realization at some point in time and understand that's who we are. A couple more tweets here. I thought these were really, really good tweets. Uh, the first one says this. It says, just gave $10 to a beggar on the side of the freeway exit. I must be going crazy. I think that's how we feel about that situation and about the idea of being a beggar. The reality of life is that in order to be poor in spirit, we have to understand our deep need is for Jesus to save us from ourselves. To Jesus to save us from our sins. Because ourselves and who we are is sin. They're two in the same. It's how we live. It's how we exist. It's, it's who our core is. And whenever we do good things, they're still tainted by sin. And so Jesus comes in and can revolutionize our lives. I'm going to read these. I think these are great statements that kind of frame this idea of a poverty, the poverty that we should have. You know, we simply should have like this poverty of our soul, this poverty of our will, a poverty of desire, a poverty of motive, a poverty of priorities, a poverty of self-worship. In fact, we should just have a poverty of me. 
and of you. That should be our posture to God. We should realize that we are completely and utterly bankrupt as human beings, and we need God so much that we can't exist without him. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Let me put that verse back up on, if you would do that, Hunter. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reality of the poor in spirit, the reality is there will not be anybody in the kingdom. There won't be anybody in heaven and with God who is not poor in spirit. This won't happen. Read this tweet here. I think it's a great tweet that really frames it well. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Only the humble will see heaven because only the hum humble will admit that they need Jesus. So there won't be people who are rich in spirit because they're living a life apart from Christ. They're living a life of self-sufficiency, right? There's no need for them to turn to God. It's the crux of the Christian faith. It's the crux of being born again. And that's why I love this verse because it just gets right down to it. And this is what God is saying about who we should be and how we should be connected to him. Another tweet says, by his grace I'm saved, not by force. Hashtag blessed. So when Jesus is talking about blessing, that's what he's talking about. And then Josiah mentioned that last week. He's saying, you know what? If, to really truly be blessed, you need to be poor in spirit. Because then you'll be connected to me. You'll have this relationship to me. You'll understand that you need me. And having me in your life is to be blessed. That's what it means. And I thought Josiah did a great job last week of kind of talking about that. And so we can only be filled with Jesus when we're emptied of ourselves. Think about our life as kind of like a, a big cup or maybe a small cup. And so we go through our life kind of filling it with our good deeds and, and the things that we are pursuing and our self-sufficiency and, and things that we think that are making us happy. And we go through our life, we never, ever fill our cup. It just doesn't ever happen. And so if we continue, we think, well, well, maybe we can add a little Jesus in here by going to church. And we maybe, you know, and, but that doesn't really ever fill our cup. The reality is our cup only fills to the top when we dump out ourself and we fill it all with Christ. That's the only way it happens. So to dump out that cup and to be emptied is to be poor in spirit. And that's when God's blessing comes into our life. And that blessing is Him. Not riches, not fame, not anything else like that. But it's Him. That's what it means to be truly blessed. John Stott said it this way. He says, the kingdom of God is given to the poor. And when he says poor, he means poor in spirit. Not to the rich, the rich in spirit. It's given to the feeble, not to the mighty. It's given to children, humble enough to accept it. And not to soldiers who boast that they can obtain it on their own prowess. No one can truly know God unless they're poor in spirit. And anybody who is trying to pursue God and be rich in spirit is really trying to earn God's favor. And that's what I did for the longest time in my life. For the first probably, for the first 17 years of my life, that's what I tried to do. My goal was to earn the favor of God so that God would let me into the kingdom. 
which isn't biblical, but I grew up Catholic. So like the first 14 years of my life, I went to church every single Sunday. And I hear that that happens also in the South. If you're a good churchgoer, you just go every Sunday, check it off your list, you feel good about it. I did that. Church every Sunday, catechism every Wednesday, my whole entire childhood. Why? Hated it. Hated it, hated it, hated it. But I went because I was trying to earn God's favor and my parents made me. Two reasons why. Also went to Catholic school, middle school. Uh, I was trying to pursue God by doing other good things like participating in the sacraments. So I did my first communion. I did my confirmation time as a middle schooler. But ultimately, for me, it boiled down to one thing. All those things added up, in my mind, to be hopefully enough good things that they would outweigh the bad things. The way I perceived God in heaven was is that God had this giant scale, and it was kind of like this. And so on this side of the scale, at the end of my life, God would take and put all, all the good things that I ever did. So if I said something nice to somebody or you know, shared my lunch or if I went to church every Sunday, that would be a big one or those type of things. They would all add up on this side. And then on the other side, he would add up all the bad things. So hopefully I didn't like kill anybody because that would be a really bad one and tip the scale one way and I would be pretty much doomed. And so it was all about trying to manage good and bad. And I always lived in this place of going, I don't really know where I stand with God. I just don't know. How, how can you know how much good is good enough, right? And so, but I had a backup plan, and the backup plan was purgatory. So the idea was is that I would get to heaven, and if I didn't quite make it there, I'd hit purgatory. My friends would light a candle for me, maybe pray for me. Hopefully, they're good friends. And uh, if not, I would just be there for, I don't know, maybe a thousand years or whatever, uh, praying and doing my penance. And then I would be like, Jason, it's time for you to go to heaven. Totally unbiblical. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about that. But for me, it was a good safety net made me feel good about my theology and what I was doing. But the reality is, it was all untrue. And I knew it. I knew it in my heart. I knew it in my heart that there was something missing. I knew it in my heart that there was just like, there had to be more to life than just that. And so when I was about 17, uh, I went, um, went on a youth trip with a bunch, of, a bunch of guys. And I wasn't a Christian, and a lot of my friends were. I was hanging out with them to uh, Indiana. I'm actually from Nebraska, so we're driving to Indiana. Had a great week uh, and didn't learn anything about God, but that didn't matter. Uh, and then on the way home, uh, some things happened, and I came to a point where I understood this verse. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. And the verse is in Romans. You've probably read it before. 3.23, it says, For all have sinned, which I understood that. Fall short of the glory of God. I got that. But then this part says, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's the part that I realized. I realized that I could never be good enough. Um, I realized that I was really too rich in spirit. I was really pursuing myself and what I wanted. And then these things, like this verse and a verse in Ephesians 2, showed me that it wasn't about how good I was. It showed me it wasn't about this pursuit of self-righteousness or self-morality, but rather it was a gift of God to those who are poor in spirit. And that's where it changed for me. And so on a bus driving back from Indiana, I remember sitting in my chair and just going, God, I can't do this. Like, 
my life is empty and meaningless and with no hope. I don't know if this is going to work. I want something that I know is going to work. And I just said, God, I trust you. I want you to be my savior. And I turn my life over to you. I'm, I just, my life is yours. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit. And that's what God wants for every single one of us. It's to move to a place of humility where we go, man, all there is is God. That's it. There is no other option. Well, there is another option, but it's a really crappy one. But it is all about God. It is all about that pursuit of him and to become a follower of really of who he is. And so my salvation was really experienced in that moment, and my life changed. Uh, it didn't change morally. Does this make sense? Like, it didn't all of a sudden become, like, a better person necessarily. But my perspective on the world changed, and where my pursuit of doing things that for me really became about responding to the greatness of God and responding and doing things for Him. And that's what shifted, and that changed everything. It changed then it changed my path and the decisions that I would start making later on and eventually got me to here. Who knew that would happen? So it's really pretty crazy uh, just how God works and how this all changes. And so the question I have for every one of us here, because the reality of poor in spirit means this. It means we become, hopefully become poor in spirit to where we understand that we need Jesus to save us from ourselves, from our sin. And then after you become a Christian, then you realize you need to be poor in spirit in order for God to grow you. Because a lot of people will say, well, I'm okay with Jesus, like, saving me, but I'm not, you know, but then after that, I'm just going to work hard. Work, 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 work. And that's really to earn God's favor. And that's really the same thing as what it used to be. And so what Jesus is saying is we become to know him, and he saves us through being poor in spirit, and we continue to grow in him by continuing to be poor in spirit and crying out and saying, God, I need you. That's how we grow as believers. That's how we come to know him in the first place. It doesn't change. And that's what I love about this verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. It's the people who live in, hum in humility, knowing that they need God. Those are the ones that truly encounter him. And so we have to ask ourselves today, kind of, you know, where am I? Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, you can ask yourself the same question. Am I someone who's independent and I'm living separate from God? Like I'm doing my own thing and I'm walking through life and I don't really need God. You have to ask that question. It's a very significant question because pride is really the thing that gets in the way of all this stuff. And if you think about to the, like where the first sin happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, what was the first sin? It was pride. It was Adam and Eve thinking that they can in some way live apart from God. That God was holding out on them and that they could say, you know what? God, man, why are you holding out on us? We want to do, make our own decisions and live our own way. And that was pride. And that was the beginning. And we are no different. So many, for so many years, I would look at Adam and Eve and go, man, what a couple dummies. You know, what were they thinking? They had it made. And now I realize I'm no different. And you guys are really no different. We're all the same. We pursue self. We pursue pride. And we, that's really what we want. 
And so it's really all about God. It's not God plus anything. It's not God plus our pedigree. It's not God plus our upbringing or plus our family, plus our education, plus our race, plus our job, plus our ability, plus our talent. It's all only about him. I love this last verse. This is the last thing we'll wrap up here. It says in Luke 4, 18. Um, I used to think this uh, verse meant something else. I'll tell you in a minute. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set the liberty to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And I used to think that that verse was about material things. I used to think that was Jesus saying, I've come, you know, to, to make the poor rich. And I've, I've come to give freedom to the slaves. And I've come to uh, give freedom to those who are being oppressed. That's literally for the longest time what I thought that verse meant. But that verse is not about those people. It's about us, every single one of us. So when he talks about those he's proclaiming good news to the poor in spirit think about it that way so anybody who's like i just need jesus he's like i'm proclaiming this to me like i'm it i'm the messiah i'm this i'm your salvation and i'm offering this gift for anybody that's blind if you don't know jesus i mean that's the reality in which you live is you're just kind of blinded like the bible doesn't make sense and salvation it just doesn't make sense and jesus is saying i'm going to help you to be able to see and how to help you to see reality for a believer and then the last one he says for those who are oppressed i think our greatest oppression is us our greatest oppression in our lives is our own sin our greatest oppression is our own desire to be self-serving and independent from god and he's saying i can give you freedom from that what can be better than those things what an amazing verse. And see, all this stuff, this poor in spirit, it makes verses like this make sense. Don't you think? That's why I was so excited about preaching it. Because now you can read that and you go, well, that makes sense. That's me. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.